Father, we just lift you up and give you the honor that you are due because, Lord, you have saved our souls and set us on solid foundation. Father, we have a home waiting for us in heaven. And, Father, we have a church here that uh, is here to support us, to love us, to encourage us, and to lift us up. Lord, I pray for each person that is here. I pray your blessings on them. I pray your protection, your encouragement. And, Father, as we look into your word now, I pray that you would open it up for us in a very powerful way. I pray that, Father, each one of us would change just from the teaching of your word and the work of the Spirit and the life of the individual. That, Father, we could forever be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now here's where I normally ask you to sit down. I'm going to ask you to stand up. So go ahead and stand up. Everybody's standing. I don't want anybody sitting down. I want you to look around. Now, don't just look at me. I want you to look around at different people in the church. And here's the thing that I want you to look for, and I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to point anybody out. You don't have to say anything. Just look and get their face and their name firmly planted in your mind. But here's what I want you to do. Here's the question. As you look around the church, don't look at me. Look around the church. As you look around the church, who in the congregation has hurt your feelings? I'm serious. Who has offended you? Who is it that as you sit there today and you look at that person, you think to yourself, I don't really like them. That, now, why are y'all looking at me? Uh, yeah, right. That person is mean. That person is arrogant. That person maybe smiles too much. They've got to be hiding something. Maybe I walk down the hall and that person just walks right by me and never says a word, whatever it may be. Now you've got them firmly planted in your mind and an image of who they are. You can be seated again, okay? If you're in a church for very long, you realize that feelings get hurt. People get offended. People get mad. That's just par for the course. Divisions in churches happen. And all you've got to do is just be yourself. Because you're a human being and you're bound to offend somebody because we're all different. That's one of the hardest things in the world for people in churches and for Christians to understand that church people, those that are supposed to know better, hurt others. And Christians get mad and Christians get hurt and people sometimes are shocked at that. We all have been offended at some point in our life in a church. Somebody has made us mad, hurt our feelings or done something to shame us or whatever it may be. And the truth be known, all of us have offended somebody in our lives at some point. Maybe we didn't mean to. We just said the wrong thing off the cuff. We did something or we didn't do something, whatever it may have been. But we've offended them and one thing led to another and maybe they became angry and bitter at you. And maybe they left the church over that. I don't know. You know, it's easy to see the faults in other people. We can look at somebody like we've just done. We can say, well, that person did this and that person did that and they are this way. And and I understand that. But it's also hard for us to admit those same things about ourselves. It's hard for us to admit that, yeah, as I look around this church, I see somebody that maybe I did, I offended. Or maybe I hurt their feelings. Or maybe I wounded them in some way. And maybe they're angry at me. Uh, we don't want to talk about that, you see. We want to talk about the other person and what they've done to us. 
But I think that it's important for all of us to learn how to deal with conflict within our, our church. Now, let me say here at the outset, people always ask, you know, pastor preached on such and such day, there must be a problem. No, there's not. This is the beauty of expository preaching. You get to preach um, preventative sermons. You just follow the, the text and whatever comes up next. And this in our study of Ephesians is what comes up next. And we're looking at prevention today. And we're going to talk later on in this series about how to deal with conflict, especially when we get to the end of this chapter in chapter 4. But today we're going to be talking about preventing it. Okay, what can we do that would help us to get along with people in the church? How can we change ourselves to guard against hurting somebody or uh, making somebody mad or, or wounding somebody? So we're going to talk about how to treat each other. We're going to talk about how to get along with people who are different. And believe me, they're all different. And that's the beauty of the church. God never wanted uniformity in a church. Do you understand that? He never wanted uniformity. He never wanted everybody to look the same, act the same, talk the same. It's just just not what the church is. And so we're all different. We're unique in our own personal uh, way of doing things, our own personalities and styles and so forth. But God does want us to protect the unity of the church. And that's quite different because the unity basically is talking about heading in the same direction, trying to accomplish something in the church, trying to serve the Lord together, trying to see people come to Christ and be discipled and raise our children in a, in a godly church setting, in a godly home, teaching parents how to live, all of these sorts of things. This is the unity of the church. We're heading in the same direction and want the same thing. It's the getting there sometimes that's different because everybody is different. And along the way, we get hurt. And, and that is going to happen. It always does when you put different people in a, a setting like this, in a body like this, and ask us to get along. Uh, sometimes we, we struggle with that. So this is what we're, what we're going to be talking about today. Now, we're in chapter 4. And let me explain something before we get started here. We are beginning a new section in the study in Ephesians. The first three chapters dealt with the theology. I told you this when we began the study. We have looked at things such as your identity in Christ. We've talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, how that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, how that the Spirit of God illuminates us and reveals things to us, how that we are secure in Christ, the great mystery of, of how we all come together and we're different and so forth. But there's a transition now that takes place beginning with chapter 4 and the last three chapters of this book. Because now we're going to be looking at, okay, how do we do it? And it becomes very practical. Very practical in Christian living. We're going to deal with things like how to, how to deal with hurt feelings, how to deal with anger, how to deal with those things. We're going to talk about husbands and wives in marriage, we're going to talk about raising children in a godly fashion and what that looks like, what that means. And this is where we get very practical and uh, very hands-on. So that's the last three chapters of the book. And right here as we begin chapter 4 and verse 1 is the transitional verse. Now watch what he says. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Okay, the first three chapters, I told you about your calling and who you are. Now these last three chapters, what the remainder of this book is about, I'm going to encourage you to live a certain way, to live for the Lord in a way that honors your calling. 
And so this is what we're going to be talking about. Now listen to me as I say this, and I mean this from all sincerity, okay? I don't believe that God expects perfection in the life of the believer. I really don't. I mean, that would be a horrible thing if God expected us to be perfect when we're not, and we don't really have the capability of being that way. But I do believe that what God wants in all, all of us in every one of our lives is progress. You see, God wants us to become more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. He wants to see things change. And that can happen. And we progress as Christians, and we help each other get there. This is what the church is all about. This is the role of the church, and the function of the church is to helping believers as they progress along the path of maturity in their Christian walk. Sometimes we get the idea that as a Christian, living or being in a church means that you've got to put on a, a new face, that you have to act a certain way because that's how everybody else acts, and you have to be a person that maybe you're really not. And I want you to understand something, that here at Dogwood, we're not asking you to be anything that you're not. We're asking you to work at becoming what God wants you to be. And so we're not putting expectations on you. We are simply proclaiming the scripture and saying to you, okay, how can we as a church help you to become that person? So from this point on, when we talk about these practical things in the book of Ephesians, I want you to understand that as a church, we're here to help sharpen each other, to lift each other up, to strengthen each other, and to help each other become what God's wanting us to be. That's what we are about. That's what we all should be about. And so don't get the idea that, you know, we read this stuff and talks about, we're going to talk about eventually, you know, parenting and and marriage. And you think, well, I've failed miserably at these things. That's okay. We're going to improve. And that's all we're asking is that we make some changes. So keep that in mind as we go through this section. You may not be there, but let's work on it together. That's what we're asking. That's what we're expecting, okay? So let me read the next few verses, verses 2 through 6. This is what we're going to be looking at today. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is what we're going to be talking about because he's getting into the the unity of the church now. And you may be thinking to yourself, you know what, I really don't care. I don't really want to get along. I want to come to church, be by myself, and then get out that door as fast as I can and go home. And I don't really want to get along with everybody. You know, I can understand that. There's been a lot of people over the years of ministry in churches I've seen come in and do just that. And they never really do get involved. And I know that you're thinking that, you know what, I just want to do my thing, just leave me alone. But you know what, when it comes to getting along in a church body, God cares whether you do or not. God cares. And for that reason alone, you need to take to heart the things that are said and the things that are taught here in the Scriptures and you need to be willing to make those changes. This is why we, we need to, to become or strive to become the person that God wants me to be. 
and the person that God has called me to be. So the question then is, how do I do that? How do I get along in church? I want to share with you four things out of this passage. So we're going to move a little quickly here, okay? Number one, he says, by being humble and gentle. Verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. So this is where he begins. Let's talk about this for a moment. Humility. What does humility mean? Well, it does not mean weakness. You know, this is a misunderstood word, a misunderstood characteristic, okay? When a person is, is expected to be meek, it doesn't mean that you sit back and let people run over you. That's, that's not what the Bible's talking about. Meekness is not degrading yourself or thinking that you're a nobody or thinking that God is saying just suppress your needs and your wants and everything and just forget about you. That's not really scriptural. But let me share with you a definition that I just think is, I don't know, plain to me at least. It's not a technical definition. It's just a kind of a good working definition, and here it goes. Humility means that you realize that you're not more important to God than anyone else. You're no more important to God than anybody else. And that's important because sometimes when we as believers come to Christ and God begins to work in our lives, we get all puffed up. And we think to ourselves, man, what has God done for all these years without me? And, you know, I am important. And guys, you are important. You are important to the Lord and He loves you dearly. But when you and I begin to look back at people and compare ourselves with people and try to compete with other people, it's like the disciples. Lord, we want to sit on your right hand. We want that privileged position. And we know we're in competition here to be the best disciple that, can, that you have. And God, you know, but God's basically saying, no, you're not. You're not in competition. And you and I have got to realize that. Humility means that you realize that you're not the center of the universe. It means that you're no better than others. Humility means that you have a healthy self-image about yourself. I know who I am in Christ. That was the first three chapters we talked about. If you came out of here after studying those first three chapters and you didn't feel good about yourself, I don't know what to do. Because you really should have been feeling good. This is who God says I am and how God feels about me. And that's important. I mean, what a special group of people we are as believers. But you know what? That healthy desire has to spill over now into some action. And because I know my self-image is what it is in Christ, and I know who I am, I'm not competing with anybody. There was a time in my life where I used to think that's what we had to do as Christians, compete against each other. We're all competing for the prize. But what we don't realize, we're just competing against ourselves to gain the prize, the reward, not heaven, but the rewards. I'm not competing with Scott or Chris or Arnold or anybody else, and neither are you. And so if I'm not competing with you and I realize that, then all of a sudden I begin to change the way I respond toward you. And instead of laughing when you fail or getting angry over you with you when you succeed or getting jealous because you have something I don't, all of a sudden it takes on a different point of view. And because I have become a more humble person because I realize that, then I can help you more. 
See, this is the key. Because you realize that about yourself and your position in Christ. You're freed up now to help people. You're not competing. Humility is just that. It's the opposite of pride. Okay? But now he's linked together two thoughts here. He says we are to be humble and gentle. Now, gentle is the action that follows. If I'm humble and realize who I am and have a healthy self-image of who I am in Christ, then I can now be gentle in the way I deal with people. Now, guys, this is important because, you, you know, part of the problem in churches is that we're not real gentle when we're, deal, when we're dealing with people. Gentle is, is kind of the active side of humility. It's how you treat someone. It's realizing that you don't have anything to prove so you can reach out to that person and lift them up and help them. When he talks about being gentle, he's talking about being kind. Kindness to people that may not deserve it. That's the beauty of it. We're kind to people. We take the initiative to be kind. talks about compassion. When you talk about gentleness, you're talking about being compassionate. There are people that are in dire need in the church. People that are hurting in the church. Well, it's our responsibility to show compassion. That's what being gentle means. Being respectful of each other. To respect somebody who is who has nothing to offer you, who, who probably, if, if the rest of society was to look at them, would think of them as not worth their time. But you, because you are gentle in the way you're going to treat people, you show them respect. A gentle person has a servant's heart. A gentle person isn't gruff or mean or short with people in the way they talk to them. I see, that's a big one. Man, how many problems have there been in churches because of the way we talk to people? We're short, we don't take time, we're sometimes just sarcastic, and it causes all kinds of problems. Gentleness means you're not judgmental. You're not going to look down your nose at somebody who hasn't got it all together yet. Maybe somebody's struggling in their marriage or, or something. And rather than looking down your nose and thinking, well, I'm sure better than they are. See, it's a whole different perspective. This humility that he's talking about is understanding that they need help, just like you did at one time. Gentleness means you're not rude. It goes on and on. The list goes on and on. We're not going to take the time. Now, just think about this, for example, because if you and I were to master this concept of humility as being the opposite of prideful, that I am humble, that I know who I am in Christ, and I, and I care about you, and I want to help you, and I approach you with a gentle spirit to try to lift you up and help you too. Now, let me ask you this. If everybody in the church acted that way, then what problems would you have? When would there ever be hurt feelings? When would there ever be a division in the church if the church began to act that way, you see? 
So this is important that you and I begin to understand that this is one of the things that he says here, that we are to be completely humble and gentle. But now let's move quickly because we're going to have to finish up. Number two is this. How do you get along? By being patient and loving. By being patient and loving. Now look at the next verse in verse 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle. I'm sorry, verse 2 is what I'm looking at here. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Patience. Now, what's a good definition of being patient? Well, I'm going to show you something, because in the context that we're looking at in this verse, if I had to come up with a definition for what he means, it would be this. Putting up with annoying people. Put up with annoying people. Because he goes into the next part of this, he says, bearing with one another in love. In other words, be patient. Here's what I mean. He says, you bear with them in love. In other words, you put up with them. You're putting up with them. So in his mind, when he writes this, what he's asking us to do is to put up with annoying people whenever they say and do things that just drive you up a wall. Every one of us at some point in our life have been like sandpaper to another individual. No matter what we say or do, it just grates on them and makes them angry. And it's to be expected, I guess, because of what I've talked about already. But in this, he's saying, no, wait a minute. You know, you begin with the humbleness and the gentleness and so forth. He said, now, you're going to have to be patient with people. And when somebody does something great on you and they're as about as annoying as they can be, you're going to have to bear with them. You're going to have to bear with them. Because, you see, this is what unity in a church is all about. Loving tolerance. Willing to put in the time with somebody. Willing to forgive somebody when they hurt your feelings. You're bearing with them. You're overlooking the offense in order to reach the person. You're bearing with them in love. Well, that's a hard one. Now, let's face it. That's hard. But nonetheless, we're not, we're acknowledging the difficulty of it, but accepting the challenge. We are to do this. Now, when I talk about love, and I believe this is what Paul's talking about here, it's undeserved, okay? They've done nothing to deserve it. They've done nothing to earn it. They, by all rights, you would have every right to say and do whatever you feel like saying and doing. But Paul says, don't do it. Be patient with them and bear with them. Hang in there out of love for them. You've got to realize, like I said before, the other person is the work in progress. They're a work in progress. God's still working on them. You know what? They may not be as far along the path as you are in maturity and understanding. But you're going to have to bear with their inadequacies and with their sinful behavior sometimes. And it doesn't mean that you ignore it. There are ways to deal with it. We can talk about it at the end of this chapter. But you still have to bear with them out of love for them and out of commitment to the unity of the church. Now, again, I ask you this question. Okay, you're being completely humble and gentle and you're being patient and bearing with people that are annoying out of love for them. You're trying to become the person that God has called you to be. If that is true of all of us, then how can there ever be a division in that church? You can't. 
This is preventative. I pattern my life this way. I make these changes. And this is the result. Unity. Harmony within the church. Let's move on. The third point. How do I get... How do we do this? How do I get along with people? By making every effort to keep the peace. By making every effort to keep the peace. Now watch this. In verse 3. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Now this is work, okay? You are going to have to make it happen. It will never happen by accident. You have to make it happen because you have determined that it's that important. But what does he mean by make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? Well, here's what he means. The Holy Spirit works within every church in the lives of the people that are there to bring about harmony and unity and peace within the church. We have to go out of our way to mess it up. We do. We have to go out of our way and work very hard at messing that up. Because that's what the Spirit of God does. It creates the unity within the church. It's the unity of the Spirit. Unity the Spirit has brought about in the body. Don't blow it. Make every effort to keep it. But yet we do. Because you know what? Old pride swells up and we think to ourselves, how can that person do that? How can that person talk to me that way? And then we start gossiping, and one thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden, the unity that the Spirit has created goes out the window. Now notice what he says here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. How? Through the bond of peace. Alright, what does that mean? Well, it means that you and I come together in this church, and when you join this church, or any church, it's not just this one, what you're doing is you're bonding with the people that are here. You're in agreement with them. You're entering into membership with them. The bond that we are going to work together peacefully and lovingly to reach the goal that we've set for ourselves or the community around us. See, sometimes we come into a church and we still think that it's all about us. It's what I want, what I need. And God says, now wait a minute. The Spirit has created unity in the church and you entered into it by making an agreement with the church to keep the peace. A bond of peace. He's saying make every effort to keep it. And you're going to have to work at it because you're going to get angry. But you're going to have to deal with it in a biblical way and you're going to have to keep the peace. You and I have got to begin to see the bigger picture. It's not just about you individually. And we all think that. And this is where we make our mistake. We don't understand the nature of the church. I come in here to get what I want, and I better get it, whether it be approval, recognition, acceptance, love, respect, all of these things we all bring in here wanting and God's saying, well, sometime you're not going to get that because you're dealing with sinful people just like you. And somehow there has to be an overriding commitment that prevents me from blowing the thing up. An overriding commitment that I see the bigger picture here. And there's something bigger than just me that I want to enter into with these people to help achieve. And I'm willing to forego my claim or rights, and I'll bear with them in love 
and I'll make every effort and I'll do my part to keep the peace. So I come into a church and I don't demand my way anymore because I've grown up a little bit. I don't act in a self-righteous manner judging people who don't measure up because I've, I've made a commitment I'm not going to be that way. I don't get jealous like I used to because, you know what, I'm happy for you if you have more than I do. I don't gossip because I know it doesn't do any good for the person that's struggling or for the person that's offended me. It doesn't help them, and I want to help them. And when I'm hurt, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say to somebody, you know what, that, that, that hurt. And it wasn't really called for. And I'll speak the truth in love. But I ask you guys again, if all of us in a church, this church in particular, make an effort, it says every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If we do that then what could ever divide us? Say nothing. But it requires work. It's not going to happen just because. It's like everything else in the Christian life. I'm saved by grace through faith. And God says, and I will be there with you. But now you're going to have to put forth some effort. Because I saved you in order to do good works. And this is what I'm talking about, he says. Here's the fourth one and the last one. How do I get along? By focusing on what we all have in common. By focusing on what we all have in common. Now watch this. I'm going to run through this little laundry list right quick. Watch what he's saying. In verse 4 he says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called. Now let's just take these for a moment, okay? There's one body. That's the church. That's it. One. Now, I'm not talking about the local church. We're talking about the church universal. One group of Christians broken down into local churches for which you become a part of. But it's one body. We're all the same. Different. It's night and day we're different. But there's one body. We are in this together. One spirit. Every person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has the Spirit of God living in them. The same Spirit. There are no differences. The same. One hope. Our home is in heaven. Every one of us, regardless of who we are, our background, our history, our lifestyle, regardless, upon our faith in Christ together, we have a hope of glory in heaven. That's an assurance. That's what hope is in the Bible. It's something we can look forward to. We all have the same thing. Look at verse 5. He says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord. We all serve the same Master. He loves each one of us the same. One Master, same rules, same guidelines for all of us. Same instructions. One faith. This is it. One faith. The Bible talks about in various places the faith once delivered to the, uh, to the saints. He's talking about the Scriptures. The teaching of the apostles is referred to in the Scripture as the faith. Here's, this is what I think he's talking about here. One. One doctrinal body that we adhere to. One faith. 
One baptism. We all professed our faith in Christ. We all were baptized the same way. Only one. We acknowledge Christ. We're born. We make a public profession. We're born into our, our, uh, buried into the water and raised up again to signify what has happened. It's all the same for each one of us. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In verse 6. One God and Father. The same. For all of us. And guys, no matter what differences there may be in our lives, in our backgrounds, in our personalities, no matter what those differences are, we are one. We're one. And we're a family. And we rise and fall together. We succeed and fail together. And no matter what church it is, whether it's Dogwood or any other church, local church I'm talking about, if we make a commitment to adhere to this passage of Scripture, that we make the commitment that we are going to be completely humble and gentle, we're going to be patient and bearing with one another in love, we're going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, we're going to realize that there's only one body, one Spirit, all called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. If we do that, then what can Satan do? How could this church ever be divided? How could there ever be conflicts? But more than that, listen. Would we not have the most attractive church body that an unbeliever or an unchurched person coming into this body of Christ would say, that's different. That's different. Guys, let's work at becoming like that. Let's don't focus on the differences. Let's, let's give in to you know, our hurts and our wants and our needs. And let's start looking at the bigger picture. And let's become the church that God wants us to be. There can't be conflict when both parties are committed to maintaining the unity. And that's all I'm asking of you today. I'm asking you to take this passage to heart and say, all right, Pastor, I can commit to that. I'll commit to that. I'll put these into practice. And I will do my best with God's help to become this kind of person in the church. And let's just see what God does. Fair enough? Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't understand what Jesus has done for you, let me read you this verse and then we'll close. It's in John 6:47. It says this. Jesus is talking. He says, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. The one who believes has eternal life. God the Father loves you. In spite of your sin, He loves you. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the payment for sin. The payment was to the Father. He required perfection. God sent His Son as a sacrifice, and when He died on the cross, He took your penalty on Himself, all of us. By faith we come to Him, and we trust Him. We trust Him to save us. That's grace. Right here where you sit, it's that simple. If you will turn to Him in faith, 
and call upon him to save you, put your faith in Jesus Christ, then according to the scriptures, you are saved. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, then do it right now, right there in the quietness of your own heart. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Join the family of God through faith. Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality of what the church really is. And Lord, we're also overwhelmed with the reality of our own shame and guilt. Because, Father, we don't always reflect that. We don't always put you first. We don't always put your church first. Father, we tend to be selfish. Father, all the things that cause problems within a church, we've all exhibited at one time or another. We've all had run-ins with people that are different and rub us the wrong way. But, Father, if we adhere to your teaching, we become the people you've called us to be, then the church will be victorious. Father, help us to be that church. Help us to be a unified church, trying as best we can with the help of the Holy Spirit to accomplish something here in this community that will glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.